Welcome to Skull Stories, presented by CenturyLink, trusted technology partner of the Minnesota Vikings. Tonight, Pete and I are catching up with legendary broadcaster, Minnesota native Brad Nessler. Well, Pete Bursich, before we uh, delve into a, a should be a fun conversation with Brad, uh, let's recap what happened last Sunday night. Three really frustrating fourth down plays, one on offense, two on defense, a game of inches, a half foot here. The Vikings clinched the game. Controversy about going for it, kicking a field goal, but the bottom line is the Vikings are one and four, and they easily could have been two and three. And that's absolutely the truth, Rosie. I think you nailed it. And I think what I like – Stepping back is the continuous improvement, especially on the defense in the backfield uh, with the young corners that we have. They're getting better. Are they still giving up the big plays? Yeah, that fourth and 10 was a, was a heartbreaker that Cameron Dancer gave up. However, we didn't see any receivers get behind those guys. Um, you know, you go back, Tennessee is a very good football team. You played them down to the wire. Uh, and then, you you know, if you could beat Seattle at home, uh, you can beat pretty much anyone, anytime, anywhere. And they came up just a little bit short. And so I think now it's just a matter of you got to stop the turnovers. You got to stop the penalties. You got to stop some of those little things that uh, come back to haunt you and shoot, you know, you shoot yourself in the foot with them. So if that's all they have to do to play winning football, then, I mean, that's a big jump from what we saw, the product that we saw against Green Bay week one. Yeah, no question. I mean, as, as Mike Tice famously said, enjoy the season. Uh, a one and four <laughs> record, yet the sense I get in this very odd year with COVID, everything going on, no fans for the most part, uh, is that the Vikings, uh, I think fans can look forward to maybe some much better football as the winter approaches and looking at this team just getting better. I mean, you can't think about playoffs or Super Bowl or anything. It's just a matter of Let's see these guys just get better, a better product in the football field. And, and absolutely. And, and I guess being a young team, the one thing uh, that's set up nicely is you have six games in the first two months of the season. Uh, so, you you know, you, you're back heavy as far as just a pure number of games. And then, again, every year, who th- you know, who would think that the Colts were going to be as good as they are, uh, at least how, you know, how as good as they are right now? Uh so you don't know how the second and half of the season is going to look up. It's very, very division and conference heavy uh, in the second half. So you're going to have the more important games, so to speak, are coming down the road. And uh, those that, that all bodes well. But these guys have to come back at the beat Atlanta. They have to come back from the bye with a, with a singular purpose, and that's being 8-2 and two over the next 10 games. Uh, speaking of Atlanta, one guy who's very familiar with Atlanta because he lives there is Brad Dessler, our guest, coming up here in a minute. Uh, I have fond recollections of working with Brad and Scott Studwell during a Vikings preseason games a, a few years back. But uh, what an iconic broadcaster he is and the pride and joy of St. Charles, Minnesota, Pete. Yeah, and, and he, a guy that's uh, kind of been everywhere. And it's going to be interesting to see how um, someone made it from a small town like St. Charles, goes to Mankato State, Minnesota mm-hmm. State now. And then, you know, he's he's everywhere. I mean, he's hanging out with Kim Basinger <laughs> and Ric Flair. I mean, this wow. guy, this guy's living the life. I, I want to find out what that's all about. All right, let's get right into it. Uh, the pride and joy, as I mentioned, of St. Charles, Minnesota. One of my broadcasting idols, Brad Nestler, joins us. 
Brad, it's a thrill to have you on Skull Stories. Uh, we had a blast, uh, I don't know, maybe it was the late 80s, uh, doing some preseason Viking games with you and Scott Studwell. Just take us through part of that early journey, and uh, I know Pete's got a lot to, to add to this conversation about uh, your time here in Minnesota, both uh, growing up in St. Charles and then leading to your broadcasting career. Well, first of all, Rosie, you know because you've been to my hometown that uh, everybody in that town bleeds purple, and I was I was no exception growing up. Um, I was just fanatical about the Vikings as a kid, and every win was a reason for celebration, and every every loss, and there weren't a lot, you know, when they were really good around 69 and, and through the Bud Grant era. Um, I, I wouldn't go to school on Monday. Bob and Bunny couldn't get me out of bed because I was I was so depressed. I was so depressed if they lost that I wouldn't eat on Sunday night. You know, they'd say, well, come on, you know, Wild Kingdom's on, Bonanza's on, we've got dinner, we've got dinner ready. I'm sorry, I can't eat if the Vikings lost. So I, I guess to go from that to eventually, um, you know, having those years where I did the radio and, and then worked with you and, and Stud on the, uh, on the TV, I think the biggest thing was, you know, when Mike Lynn uh, had actually a news conference when they announced that I was coming up there and, and he was trying to bribe my wife and I to move back to Minnesota and we wouldn't budge moving from uh, Atlanta. And we actually had a news conference, which I thought was ridiculous, but Mike was a showman, you know, and so we get up there and, and to that point I'd done the, I'd done the Falcons for six years, whatever um, on radio. And, and my dad would tell people, yeah, my kids, uh, I guess he's doing some NFL, you know, down in Atlanta and da, 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 da. Like it wasn't a big deal. And, and when, I, when I got the, when I got the Vikings job, Every time he went someplace for business after that, he said, that's my kid. My kid's in the Vikings. My kid's in the Vikings. So it went from, uh, you know, me being prideful to uh, my dad actually being the hard butt that he was to uh, give me some props that it was that was a big-time thing for him. Now, and Brad, you got your you kind of got your breakthrough or at least uh, calling games with Georgia Tech basketball. Is that correct? Yeah. How did so? How did you go from Minnesota State or Mankato State, as it's not you know as as we know it, right? Um, to getting all the way you know from coming from again St. Charles, Minnesota. I mean, I knew where I grew up. I wanted to get out of town. That's the one thing I knew. I was sure. I was sure of is that I'm not going to live in this town after I can get out of here. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I mean I'm on. I'm out of here as soon as I can. Nothing right. against the town where I grew up, but. Um, how did how did that transpire? Did you know in college was it a was it a friend was it a break? What got you into broadcasting? You know, I got um, it was weird, Pete, because one of the first years I was at Minnesota State and Mankato State at the time, the, the local radio station went on strike, and so the only way to listen to the college basketball games um, might have even been the Indians then, not the Mavericks. I don't remember, but um, was the campus station, and I was doing hockey and and basketball on the campus station, and we had a uh, radio show, uh, a big show like every Thursday, and then we did play-by-play. And so because that was the only outlet to listen to uh, Minnesota State basketball, I did a whole season of their games. And so I had tape to work with, you know, I was 18 yeah. or 19 or whatever. And so then, um, you know, working at a couple of uh, stations in, in Mankato, when I got – I wasn't even out of college and had a full-time radio gig, but um, I started sending tapes around. And then they the station in Atlanta had – uh, the Falcons and they had a pregame show called NFL coast to coast. And they went around to every other game and they just had like a one minute thing, uh, preview of the game. And so I became their Viking affiliate, I guess, of whatever, and doing it from Mankato. And, you know, I'd get folks from the players or whatever and incorporated in my little one minute segment. And, uh, 
you know, an opening came at uh, WGST in Atlanta and they said, you want to come down here and, and do sports full time? Because at that time I was kind of DJing and sportsing and you know how that is. Okay. And uh, so I came down here and then I started doing basketball for Georgia Tech and two years into that, I got the Falcons gig. So I was the youngest guy in the league by many, many years. Kevin Harlan followed me shortly after for Kansas City, but some of the older guys hated our guts because we were like 25 and we were doing NFL games on radio. Wow. And they're like, who are these two punks, you know? So, <laughs> so getting the Falcons gig was really uh, the first big break. Again, we're talking to Brad Nessler. Uh, uh, Brad, it's one thing to uh, you know, get into the business. It's one thing to stay on top of the business. Do you enjoy it still today as much as you ever have? I love it, Rosie. People say, you know, when are you going to retire? And I, I tell them, I don't have any hobbies I like as much as I like working. You know, <laughs> I hang around with the guys that drive the trucks, the camera guys. I don't care. They're all part of the family, and, and we don't get to get together because we're all kind of in our our little separate pods now. And so um, the, the social part of doing the games is not as much fun. The fact that there's not 100,000 people in the stadium is not as fun. The lack of seeing people tailgating, all that's been taken away. But you know, when you get up in the booth and, and Pete knows this and Rosie, you know this, when the headset goes on and the lights come on and the whistles blow, uh, it's time for football. And I don't know, I just get in a, I get in a different groove and I'm as happy as I can be. If you were to say, all right, I'm going to call a, a single game, a game, what game is that going to be? Wow. Is it going to be, you know, uh, Georgia, Alabama? Is it going to be uh, Chiefs, Steelers, Monday Night Football, Vikings, Saints, Sunday Night Football? What is it going to be? You're killing me. You know, I really had fun when I was <laughs> when I was doing NFL Network games on Thursday night, and then doing still doing my college games on Saturday. That was I was in heaven, but it was it was really tough because the travel was tough, and and just getting to the coaches' meetings and everything. So I mean, I'd have so much fun on Thursday night, and I'd go, "Wow, this is the NFL, and this is cool." And then I'd just get to a big SEC game, and I go, "Well, this is just as cool. They're different." I think if I had to. No, I don't. I shouldn't say this, but you know, Alabama, Georgia is pretty big when you're doing number two against number three. <laughs> SEC championship is big. I'll tell you one that I would miss if I didn't do it. Probably is Army Navy, and I mm. never, never expected I'd ever say that. Um, and I was scared to death the first time I did it because I didn't know kind of what it meant. And you know, people were calling me, going, you know, what's it mean for you to do Army Navy? I go, I don't know. I've never done it. You know, so I called Vern Lundquist and I said, Vern, I have all these people asking me. You know, what's it mean for you to do Army Navy? I said, I don't know what the hell to tell them because I've never done it. And he said, you'll know when you get there. And then, you know, so we went to Annapolis and spent time there. We went to West Point, spent time uh, with everybody there. I mean, we were in with the kids, you know, for dinner and all that kind of stuff in the mess hall. And then I got to the game and, you know, I, I, got, I got to the two hours before the game and I was watching everything going on and I was almost crying. And then the tease came on that, you know, the guys put together and, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. And then once the game started, it snowed about six inches and Army's wearing all white <laughs> uniforms with gold numbers. And I think Rosie knows my buddy Clint Deans is my spotter. Oh, I, I at, sure do. I look at Clint and I go, dude, how are we going to get through this? All it says <laughs> is Army on their back in gold you know, lettering. They don't have their names on it. And they're wearing white uniforms and it's snowing oh. all over the place. Still one of the most fun games I've ever done and probably one I wouldn't give up. But uh I guess, you know, a big SEC game or the SEC championship game would be good enough for me. Want an inside look at the U.S. Bank Stadium on game day? Tune into Vikings pregame all access for an exclusive live stream pregame show providing behind-the-scenes content prior to all Vikings home games. 
Vikings pregame all access airs at 11 a.m. on Vikings.com, the Vikings app, Vikings Connected TV, and social media platforms. And we'll be right back in a moment with more Skull Stories right after this. Don't miss your chance to virtually meet fan-favorite football heroes all season. CenturyLink has teamed up with your Minnesota Vikings for the Legends Connection Meet and Greet Sweepstakes. To enter, visit vikings.com slash promotions. And now let's get back to more Skull Stories with Brad Nessler. Brad, you mentioned being a young guy getting into this business. Let me play a little name association with you. And just give me your impressions when I give you an iconic name like Keith Jackson. Let's just start with uh, the man himself. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, couldn't be bigger <laughs> than a Saturday afternoon. Uh, big day in college football. Well, he's that's good. Yeah, he's the best that's ever probably done college. He and Vern are the two best as far as I'm concerned. And, um, you know, people still talk about him all the time. And he's been gone from broadcasting and from this earth for a long time. And I still get people saying, well, you know, I, I love listening to Keith Jackson. I go, well, I'm glad you're listening to him because he hasn't been around for a long time, you know, <laughs> but now he's, uh, he's probably the best that's ever done college football. And, and, you know, everybody takes a little bit from different people and I'm sure I've stolen stuff from Keith. Yeah, Brent Musburger was in that same category. He also worked a lot of college football. No doubt. You know, and Brent's still doing it at age 82 or whatever, calling the Raiders games My. on radio out there. So God bless him. You know, he always, he never didn't want to be where the action was. It didn't matter what sport, you know, he did some sports that he probably should have never tried. I've always been smart enough to go, not going to do that sport because they can Mm. find out, you know, that you don't know what you're talking about in a, in a minute. I don't know how to whisper, so I can't do golf, you know, so, um, (laughs) there's just like Al Al Michaels doing the 1980 miracle on ice. He did. He never done hockey. No, I know. He didn't even know what he was doing. And he's, uh, he's an icon because of it. So, you know, sometimes (laughs) you can just step in something and go, well, it turned out fine. But, um, I was just going to say, Brent, you know, when he was doing football, I still think he's the greatest host on the NFL today. I know that's dating me, but I, I think he was the best at that. And mm, I agree. He's done a great job for a long, long time, and he still likes to be in the spotlight, man. I, I've seen on your um, – just in, in some of your Twitter some of your Twitter uh, feeds that you spent some time, or at least have done Nick Saban's radio show. Um, I'm familiar with, with uh, Coach Saban from when he was with the Dolphins back when I was coaching – what is he like to work with? And, you know, what, what what was his radio show like? I know what it's like to work for him. I have an idea what it's like to work for him. And I assume interviewing him is a little bit different. Well, when, when I'm on his radio show, you know, I'm just kind of like the guy they stick knives into because <laughs> you know, the people in Alabama think I'm, you know, think I'm biased or something. Uh, actually, Nick is one of the best guys to work with from our standpoint because he just gets it. He doesn't tell you a lot, you know, and I found that out from him. Even, you know, Michigan State and before that, uh, I remember when I was at CBS the first time, I had a game and I had Cleveland Browns and I go into the meeting and uh, Belichick's the head coach and Nick's the defensive coordinator. And I came out of those meetings and I looked at the producer and stuff and I said, I may be in the wrong business because I got absolutely nothing from those two guys. <laughs> and then I realized that they have been that way forever and they're going to be that way forever. But, you know. Nick's a really good guy. I have no problem with him. I think just the fact we've known each other for so long, the mutual respect we have. I probably get along better with him than almost anybody other coach in the SEC, to be honest wow. with you. And then the radio show, Eli Gold kind of runs that, the, the radio voice of uh, Crimson Tide. And I get to ask like one question, you know, I try to get a dig in. 
on Nick just because it's a live audience and it's in Baumhauer's bar, you know, so everybody's kind of lit up anyway. They've been there since four o'clock in the afternoon. So uh, you can usually get them to laugh. And uh, Miss Terry's got a table right in front, you know, Nick's wife and, and the family. And he gets done with a segment and he goes down and he kisses babies and takes pictures and signs stuff really quick. And then he'll wait until the very last second to get back in his seat. By that time, you have to fill in for him a little bit because he's on his terms. And it's on, it's on Thursday, and uh, he gets his hair cut every Thursday. So he comes in with three cops guarding him just to get him to his seat at the dais. And then the three cops get him out of there. The last time they say that's going to be it for tonight, he's out of there just as fast as he comes in. Again, we're, we're talking with Brad Nessler, broadcaster extraordinaire. And, and uh, let's segue to the Atlanta Falcons. You're living in Atlanta. Uh, it's where you've been for a long time. Uh, interesting week for the Falcons. They fired their head coach, fired their general manager. They're coming up here to play the Vikings. They've yet to win a game. Did it all start with the Super Bowl collapse? Uh, and that was that kind of the beginning of the end for what, what this franchise has gone through? You got it, Rosie. They never recovered. You know, 25-point lead with 16 and a half minutes to go, whatever it was. And um, they have never recovered. They, You know, they're two games under 500 since then. The last two years, I think they're nine games under 500. Um, you know, Dan's a friend of mine. I've known him since he was a defensive coordinator at Florida. I feel bad for him. I don't like seeing anybody lose their job. But he never got the handle back, you know, on the team. I mean, in the beginning – you know, the second year it worked out. They had a lot of slogans. It was the brotherhood and all of this stuff. And everybody was buying in. It was kind of a college atmosphere feel. And then to have the kind of offense they had and, and to get to the game and have that big a lead. And, it, you know, they, and they said there's not going to be a Super Bowl hangover. There's been a hangover ever since. There's been a hangover for the fans. Mm. I mean, you can bring it up in conversation right now among friends, and it's, you know, it's three and a half years ago, and people go, too soon, just too soon. <laughs> you know, it's been a tough week. I don't know what's going to happen up to this weekend. Now, I know that the, uh, the owner even stepped up and said, no one's safe, Matt Ryan, his future. Um, how, I've, you know, I've seen him, seen him on film. He's still, if you protect him, he does well, but he's making mistakes that I haven't seen him yep. make in quite some time. And I, I I, just think it has to do with the physicality. If, if he's getting hit and people are getting to him, he's he's just like uh, any other quarterback, like Kirk, like uh, Russell Wilson was against us a week ago. Our guy, Kirk Cousins. I mean, he's kind of, he's come back to normalcy, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, Pete, he took more hits, I think, than anybody else in the league last year. I, it might have even been more sacks, too, but he got hit more than anybody else. You know, Matt's 35. He's not just the face of the franchise. He's almost the face of sports in Atlanta. And, um, you know, for that, I give him credit. He's been unbelievable. He's been a great leader. He's been, uh, you know, great in the community and all that stuff. But you're right. Um he hasn't looked himself. You know, I was watching. I kept saying the other day, you know, give him a clean pocket. Give him a clean pocket. He gets one. He throws the worst interception of the season, you know, that could have tied the game up. Yeah. He just doesn't look like himself. Doesn't seem as comfortable without Julio out there. Julio's going to be 33 next year. Matt's going to be 36. I think with a new coach and general manager coming in, they might blow the whole thing mm. up. You know, I think Matt can still play in the right situation if there's a team out there that's really in need of a veteran quarterback that might be just – the one thing they need, like the Colts thought they had with Rivers, you know, whatever, some situation like that. Julio can't stay healthy. Matt can't stay upright. Um, they might have to blow the whole thing up, I really think. I I've gotten to that point now, and, you know, everybody around here wants them to somehow tank for Trevor Lawrence or Justin Field. <laughs> or that. I don't think they're going to throw their helmets in the, in the circle yet, but um, it's pretty tough right now. 
talk about what Todd Gurley's brought because he's he's added some juice to the running game, no question about it. Yeah, he really looked good the other day, and he looked more like the Todd Gurley that you know everybody had hoped that he would be. I mean, they got him on a one-year deal. They were worried about his knee. Um, you know, they talked about having him on a pitch count, and I think they did that for a while. And I think they decided the other day, uh, pitch count or not, let's try to win a game. And if they'd have kept running him, I think, instead of going to Brian Hill or Edo Smith when they started trying to change things up, I think they should have just worked it and worked it and worked it because it was working. And then they started throwing the ball, and that's been their that's been their biggest problem since that Super Bowl that Rosie talked about. If they ran the ball and kicked the field goal, we wouldn't be talking about 25-point collapse. We'd be talking about them being the Super Bowl champions from 51. So that's all the coaching, too, and stuff. You know, it seems like they throw when they should run, and, and they can't convert a third and short or a fourth and short to save their life. And I don't know if that's dirt cutter or if that's the offensive line. They got five number one draft choices in the offensive line for crying out loud. You'd think they could get six inches, you know, on third down. So you can tell I'm almost disgusted just being a fan. That's kind of the way everybody feels. <laughs> I find it fascinating as a Minnesota native, the connection between Minnesota and Atlanta. You got the 91 World Series, which people will never forget about here. But then you go to the the, the crushing loss against Atlanta, uh, you know, the Dirty Birds in 99. You got to be kidding me. I mean, weren't were, you a Viking fan then? Uh, no, you know, here's the, here's the deal. I told you, I told you I bled purple as a kid, right? Uh, but I've been in Atlanta for 42 years, and sometimes you'd have to, but trust me, my number two team's Minnesota. You can take the boy out of St. Charles, but the uh, St. Charles never gets out of the boys. Uh, Brett, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. I know, um, man, the best is yet to come, and I, I always appreciate men of our age having success and continuing and having whoa, a lot whoa. of fun. Whoa, whoa, and, whoa, and the, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute, no. Yeah. Whoa. Men of a certain age. There you go. Thank you. Of a certain age. Let's <laughs> leave it at that. He's, he's not, not you, talking Pete. about you, we're Pete. Talking, talking about me and him. In our Thanks. 60s, still enjoying this. Rosen, you were supposed to be retired a long time ago. I think I sent you money when you retired the first time. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, love you, Brad. Thanks for spending some time with us. You guys are the best. Thank you, Brad. They enjoy your success, and I always love hearing you, no matter what you're doing. So continued success. You got it, buddy. Thanks, guys. Wow, it was great to catch up with my old colleague, Brad Dessler. Now, before we go, I wanted to let you know that when you purchase a Vikings yearbook during the month of October, a portion of the proceeds will benefit Daniil Hunter's charity of choice, the Boys and Girls Club. Use the code SKOL at www.vikingsyearbook.com. And Pete, thanks once again for another fun week. And thank you, fans, for tuning in to another episode of Skull Stories presented by CenturyLink, trusted technology partner of the Minnesota Vikings. We'll see you again next week. Mm-hmm.